Welcome to Next in Q, the podcast for contact center and customer experience professionals. Next in Q is brought to you by Happy Q, your service team's personal coach, giving them the process, resources, and insights to deliver the perfect customer experience over the phone. Learn more at HAPPITU.com. Now, here's your host, Rob Dwyer. Hey, everyone. Thanks for joining another episode of Next in Q. My name is Rob Dwyer. And today I am joined by an old friend, Doug Kennedy, the president of Kennedy Training Network. Welcome, Doug. How are you? I'm doing awesome, Rob. How are you today? I am fantastic. So I've been looking forward to having you onto the show for probably the better part of a year now. And uh, you are a busy, busy (laughs) guy traveling all over the world. Um, and so we'll learn more about that, but I want to, uh, kind of take uh, you back in time the way I always like to do and find out, uh, how you got into, uh, the business that you're in, which is the hospitality business. All right. Well, how far back do you want to go? <laughs> I mean, let's, let's start at the beginning, the very beginning. All right, you asked for it. Well, I started working at age nine. That's regular, uh, that's pretty early. Regular hours. Now, I grew up in Kentucky, which may not have the best child labor laws, but don't feel bad. <laughs> I actually got paid because I worked in a retail store called the Kennedy Craft Supply Store. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom, as a lot of women were in the late 60s. And when her youngest child, which was my little brother, he was uh, going into first grade. They didn't have mandatory kindergarten back then, but he started first grade and she saw that as an opportunity to get back in the workforce. And she opened up a very small craft supply store, kind of like what Michael's or Hobby Lobby would be. And so she opened up that store and I was fascinated from the beginning. And I started working Tuesdays, Thursdays and Saturdays for mom. That's where I learned about, I guess you could say customer service, but looking back, what I really learned was hospitality. Wow, that's really fascinating. So were were you like working the register? Were you helping the customers? What were you doing in the store? Funny you mentioned that. My favorite job was taking the money. (laughs) (laughs) My, My dad had to make a platform for me to stand on to reach the cash register. But yes, I worked uh, two evenings a week usually, and then um, about seven, eight hours on Saturday. And I love to work that register and also do the crafts. It used to really irritate me because some of the, it was primarily women, although we had some men, but they would be like, where's your mom? <laughs> I'd be like, actually, I'm running the store by myself tonight, ma'am. And, uh, you know, I knew how to do all kinds of crafts. Now, the funny thing is, I don't think I've done a craft since she sold the store. Um, I was 20 years old when she sold it. Um, But yeah, that that was my first job. My mom was an amazing businesswoman, born into a different era. She probably would have been Michael's Crafts. Her name was Barbara. It probably would be Barbara's Crafts, you know. Do you have Michael's where you're at in Missouri? Yeah, yeah. So, but anyways, um, when she was 20 years, when I was 20 years old, they had, uh, my dad came into the business a little bit later. He was, uh, worked for Square D and, you know, he had a good job, but they needed the money. And finally, you know, they were humble people when they had just enough and they, they put me through college. Uh, I was the first in my family to go to college. My younger brother, they had enough to cover us. And so they said, Doug, do you want to take over Kennedy Craft still? Cause that was my original plan, Rob. I was going to be a craft mm-hmm. shop. <laughs> and, uh, but at the time, I was going to college, so I had gotten a new career. Um, I know you may be surprised to hear this, but my goal at age 20 was to be a rock and roll star. Now, I understand that goal. My, uh, my rock and roll dreams were dashed before I was 20. I, oh, was, okay. <laughs> I was probably like 14 when I realized that wasn't going to happen for me. But What did you play? No, I sang, but oh, it turns were, out yeah. I can't sing. So. Oh. Well, similar background. Um, I played bass, but it turns out I wasn't very good at it. But I was a heck of a performer. And I also booked the band. So, But anyways, um, you know, at that point, I had a girlfriend and I had a lot of other interests. And so I said, you know what, mom and dad, sell the craft shop. 
I'm going to move on. And they did. And they sold the craft shop. They had a, just enough for a small retirement. They did some part-time, you know, little entrepreneur things. But they'd actually expanded it to three locations. So they closed out, sold out, and um, had just enough money to travel. Uh, their goal was to go to every state. So they got a Volkswagen Rabbit diesel and a pop-up camper. And they made every state. Ten years later, we lost mom to cancer at um Increasingly, the older I get, the very young age of 61. I, I thought she was old back then, but now I'm thinking, man, we lost mom young. So um, yeah. that, we had her for 10 years, and she did see me start my business. But um, going back to the story, um, at age 20, I needed a job. I wish I had a better story for our listeners of you know, how I got into hospitality, but it was the biggest ad in the newspaper. Did you ever get a job out of a newspaper? <laughs> that you have. Uh, no, I did not. Uh, well, I take that back. Maybe, uh, maybe one of the jobs that I got in college was head of a newspaper. So yeah, it's possible. Now, don't tell me you're, you're uh, too young to remember help wanted section though. You must have. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I grew up in a small town and, oh, okay. well, uh, I knew exactly. Have, uh, small towns still have newspapers with Help wanted, I think. Sure, I didn't. I didn't need to look for the help wanted. I started at the Dairy Queen. That's that's where I had friends working. Yeah. So that that was my was my high school gig at the. Oh, you're right. But yeah, some of our younger people, you know, they might have to understand and imagine help wanted. But um, you know, it's indeed a career builder. But yeah, so I uh, opened up the newspaper, and Marriott was opening a hotel in my hometown, Lexington, Kentucky, and. They used to call it cattle call. So, you know, they said, come one, come all three days. And I got went out there and they started me in banquets. And um, after I was a banquet server. And then after about six months, um, I went over to the bell stand, which was the airport van driver was the first rung on the ladder. And then I became a doorman and a bellman. In fact, I was just at my original hotel, Griffin Gate Marriott in Lexington uh, two weeks ago. And I met a guy who was a senior at University of Kentucky, which is where I went, and he was working as a bellman. So we got a, a nice photo together on, for LinkedIn. But that's how I got into uh, hotels. That's really awesome. Uh, I mean, so I'm going to set the stage because I'm really curious about this. When you left Lexington, right? So you worked at that Marriott for what, uh, yeah. roughly four years, give About or take? Four years. Yeah. You ended up at the Stanhope in the Upper East Side of New York. So number one, like, had you ever been to New York? I mean, Lexington, <laughs> not exactly the kind of metropolis that Gotham is. And, and that's where you go next. What was that like for you? Well, there was a couple of stops in between and there was love involved. You know, I know oh, of course, we were starting there, of course. Warming up for this podcast, we talked about young love with our, you know, our, our children and all that. But so uh, it ended up at the end of my college when I didn't make it as a rock star. <laughs> Around January <laughs> of my senior year, um, I realized that was not going to work. So I decided to do the next best thing, hotel management. <laughs> and I applied for the Marriott Management Training Program, corporate sponsored. And they had two programs a year per hotel, they would select an hourly worker and you'd go through a 16 week program. So I graduated on a Friday, I'm sorry, a Saturday and Monday morning, I started work I, on Saturday. I was uh, a bellman on Monday morning. I was front desk manager trainee, finished the training program. And I thought they were going to station me in Lexington because that's what had happened to the previous three trainees. But at the end of my program, they had, uh, they had a need in Stamford, Connecticut. So I got transferred to the Stanford Marriott where I worked for a year. And I went literally, Rob, from like one of the top five Marriott's at the time to the worst hotel in all of Marriott. <laughs> it was the worst for customer service. And the building itself was crumbling. And it was in a, what at the time was a boom town. Um, so it was very hard to get staff. You think it's hard to get staff now. There was nothing but, um, you know, I hate to say it, but overprivileged rich kids living in Greenwich, Connecticut and Stanford. And, you know, the working class didn't live there anymore because all the corporations had relocated. Yeah. So I was there for a year, fell in love. And oh, by the way, my parents came to visit me the first November 
And my mom wanted to go to New York City. And I was like, I don't want to go to New York City. I hate New York City. I've been there once so far to visit to uh, visit a friend who was a DJ there, somebody from back home. I did not like it, but I'll go. So mom signed up for one of those bus tours. <laughs> and we all went around in yeah. a bus. And we saw Times Square, and I, oh, I hated it. But then uh, I went back to visit my DJ friend, and he uh, introduced me to this young lady that was a friend of his girlfriend's. And, uh, yeah, I fell in love. And so I uh, asked for a transfer. So I wanted to work at the Marriott Marquis. You know the Marriott Marquis in Times Square? Yeah. It was opening up, and my buddy from back home was transferring into that property, and our old resident manager the number two was transferring in to the marriott marquis so i wanted to go there room with my buddy work for my old boss and be near my new love and it's uh, perfect my yeah except my gm wouldn't transfer me <laughs> he said i paid eighteen hundred dollars to relocate you and your stuff you got to give me two years so that's how uh love brought me to new york and another newspaper ad brought me to the Stanhope. Did you look up the address? Uh, what is it, 955? Is that... Okay, so New Yorkers will know that as directly across from the Metropolitan Museum of Art on Fifth Avenue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I went from, you know, checking in, you know, like regular people at the Marriott to we had, uh, well, we had Paul McCartney stay there while I worked there. Nice. That was pretty cool. Yeah. I, That's how I got to I, New York. I have to imagine that that was uh, certainly right. You came from a uh, Marriott is pretty famous for their hospitality training and kind of yeah. the way that they do things. But I would imagine, right, being there in New York, that probably took things to a different level for you, didn't it? Well, it really did. And they were also repositioning this hotel. The Stanhope actually is a condo now. It's no longer a yeah. hotel as of 10 or 15 years ago. But before then, it was very famous in literary worlds with that address, you can imagine. We had a terrace, uh, outdoor garden terrace, which was everyday movie stars. You know, we had uh, uh, Gene Schilder and um, what was his wife? Oh my gosh, I can't remember right now. But she died of cancer from Saturday night. Gilda Radner. Gilda Radner, yeah. Jackie Anassis ate there. It, it was really quite something, but it had fallen. And it was, uh, the book was, the book no Ho Hotel New Hampshire and many other famous books at that time took place at the Stanhope. But it had fallen into disrepair and a very wealthy New York businessman bought it. So they were upskilling everything, which required me as a manager to now change the mindset of people that had worked there. Um, for example, I was, I think, mid-20s. I was like probably 24. The bell captain had been there 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never forget, Ellie, the operator, she had been there almost as long as I had been alive. And I had to convince Ellie that things were different. Um, I'll give you one quick story about Ellie. Ellie took it upon herself. Oh, she was in her mind. She used to work for AT&T as an AT&T phone operator, which was like a really big deal for, you know, it was um, a lot of women. You you were a nurse, a secretary, or a phone operator, you know, in the probably the 40s and 50s. I yeah. wish it was different, but that was the reality. But Ellie was a pro, and she took it upon herself to welcome every guest. She worked the evening shift. So she would call them up and say, good afternoon, Mr. Kennedy. It's Ellie, the operator. Just wanted to say, welcome aboard. And uh, so she chose to do that for Paul McCartney. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and um, the prince and princess of Liechtenstein, I had to look up where that is. <laughs> it's a kingdom in uh, Europe. And so, yeah, convincing Ellie, you know, and then her big thing was, of course, it was Union Hotel, which I respect unions, but, you know, she's like, go ahead and fire me then. <laughs> so I learned a lot, my friend. Stanhope, yes, for a guy from Kentucky, you know, Lexington had about 200,000 people, you know, to what, 20, 12 million at the time in New York. Yeah, yeah it's a huge change. <laughs> so 
for the last 30 plus years, I don't want to age you, right? You started as a young you. man uh, in this business, but you, I, I imagine, right? Maybe this is a, a little bit of your mother's entrepreneurial spirit coming out in you. You decided to uh, take uh, some of the lessons that you have learned and start your own business. So tell me about that. Well, so I'll just take you through what happened next. I was at the Stanhope. Things were great. I ended up marrying the flame um, who, um, you know, we fell in love. We had a very romantic courtship in New York. And then she was from Boston. And suddenly, you know, we realized that New York was not where we wanted to live because we were still rooming with my old roommate and a couple of other guys and you know how housing is in New York. So we got married, we took our wedding money, we quit our jobs and we moved to Florida. And so I, um, yeah, I didn't have a car. <laughs> I had to buy a car. We bought a car out of the paper and moved here and uh, it was in the fall. I figured, well, we either get professional jobs or, and she had also worked in hotels um, or we'll be waiters. And we were waiters for the first month. <laughs> and pretty soon though, you know, with New York experience, that was, that was like jet fuel. And I got hired in a couple of luxury hotels. I worked at a five-star hotel in Coconut Grove. And then I worked at the Doral Golf Resort in my first job in sales. So the higher up I got, the more I realized really, working nothing against the hotel industry because i love the industry but my entrepreneurial spirit yeah i think it is a genetic defect <laughs> hopefully my own children will not get this defect because i would not wish it upon anyone i love my career and i wouldn't change anything but you know it takes a lot i mean there's been ups and downs and highs and lows and you know almost every entrepreneurial story you'll read about you know crashing and burning and that's all happened to me but um, yeah, that genetic defect started to reveal itself. And so I took stock of my life and went and I was thinking, well, what can I do? You know, I had no money. I had no rich uncle. I had a general studies degree from University of Kentucky. And, you know, I had not a lot of word ex experience, but there was one thing I really knew, which was customer service. So I'm literally uh, talking to my older brother, Dan, who's still a mentor to this day. He's about eight years older. And I had all these ideas, Rob. I was going to start a birthday cake delivery service for offices. Yeah. How about that one? You know, um, I can't remember some of the other ideas, but I, I may go back to that someday. You know how at offices all of a sudden you <laughs> say, oh, no, it's Rob's birthday. Who's, who's going to go get the cake in the card, you know? So I figured I'd cold call people's offices, leave a Rolodex card, because who has to go get the cake? Well, it used to be the receptionist sitting at the desk, mm -hmm. you know, and he's got to run out. So um, that, was, that was my idea. My brother's like, okay, okay. And then I said, and the other thing, Dan, I'm thinking about writing a hotel training manual. So I decided to write a hotel training manual. And he said, that, that's a great idea. And at that moment, I decided to write a hotel training manual. So for the next 15 months, I bought me a IBM PS1 computer with floppy disk and I wrote a training manual. You want to see it? I can grab a copy real quick if you want to see it. Uh, yeah, let's Let let's take a look. Quick. Let me just get up from the chair here real quick. And I'll show You've got you. the OG manual. I think that's... Uh... The front desk. Okay, here we go. I, I got it right here. My first product. Wow. Front office orientation and training manual <laughs> that was my vision i wasn't going to go into training classes i was going to sell this manual through mail order so i wrote the book um i public in case you can't tell i made my own logo yeah how about that yeah i see that <laughs> you would never guess and um i set out cold calling because i thankfully i learned about sales and hotel sales and i set out cold calling and i knocked on doors of hotels and then i did telemarketing um, and I, I tested it before I quit my job. I took a couple, I took a day off here and there. And I realized if I made 20 cold calls a day by phone, I could sell one manual and it cost, I think, $70. <laughs> so 70 times five was 350. I could make it on that, you know, and that's what I did. Wow. That, was, that is yeah. just a fascinating experience.
May 1st, uh, 1989, I was uh, 20, um, I was uh, not, I was 26. I've been doing it ever since. When did you decide, okay, the manual's great, but this needs a little bit more hands-on and, and let me start doing workshops and, and training people. That's, and great. The That's a great question. Totally by accident. So I would sell the manual and I, I sold it through telemarketing, but I also literally cold called hotels locally. And one of the very first ones that I did that I sold to said, you know, I, I, I'd follow up, right? Because how, how'd you like the manual, right? And they said, you know, Doug, the manual's really good. What is the class like? And I said, oh, the class. And they said, yeah, the class that goes along with the manual. And I said, the class that goes along with the manual. I'll be back in two weeks and I'll tell you. Literally, that's how I got into it. So at the time, now mind you, as a fifth year senior, because I, I worked 32 hours a week, it took me five years to get through college. As a fifth year senior, I needed a couple more credit hours. So I picked an easy class the end of senior year. And it was basic public speaking, freshman 101. Do you know, I almost failed that class and didn't graduate because <laughs> I was a terrible speaker. So, but I was a good writer and I was good at the desk. You know, I was a front, I was a director of front office and then I was a sales manager, but groups, talking to groups, no. So um, I went back though and I literally wrote out a four hour class word for word and I showed up to teach my first class and I had a stack of paper and I had joined Toastmasters International. So at least I got a little bit of that, but I knew to like slide the notes, you know, instead of flipping the page and smile. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I, I dumped the notes about the third class. I went to note cards and um, I dumped the note cards about um, six classes later and been doing it ever since, but wasn't easy. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You know, having, spent a lot of time in in front of large groups myself i understand yeah. exactly where you're coming from right that level of comfort takes a little bit of time yeah once you get everything down then you can start to like get rid of those crutches right and it then it becomes a very natural after yeah. a, a certain amount of time it got so or maybe it wasn't natural, or you tell me, but it got so natural, I think, that at one point you were like, oh, hey, we should do videos. Well, let's talk about how things progressed. So I started out, um, you know, doing the training myself, and then I always had a bigger vision than just being Doug Kennedy, a trainer guy, because there's a lot of people that have a very happy life and a long career, but I... If you don't mind, I'll, I'll digress in how we got into uh, the next level because videos was really about 96 for me. Um, we started, so what would happen is I did front desk hospitality and I did reservation selling. As you know, because that's how we met. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. When we did work for customer direct, but I would propose the the reservation sales class started to take off because at the time, 1989, no one considered reservations as a sales job. They thought it was an admin job taking orders. And so I would start by sending a proposal for this and people would get the proposal log and they say, you know, it looks good. It's interesting. Um, we'll, we'll get back with you. And, I, and then they'd never get back with me. So I came up with the idea. I don't know how I came up with the idea to do test calls. So I went to Radio Shack. Remember Radio Shack? Yeah. <laughs> had a suction cup recording device that you stuck onto your phone, plugged into the microphone, and I would call up their hotel and I would say, hi, I really want to stay at your hotel. What are the prices? And they would say 99 a night. And I would say, that sounds great. <laughs> really great. Okay. And I would send the cassette tape and they would buy it. So uh, I would mail them the cassette tape. So that launched into the mystery shopping business. Once we got into telephone mystery shopping, um, we started to really grow. But being that 
I knew that there was a lot I didn't know. I brought in another partner. I went out and sought out a partner and I found someone that also had a one person company and he was doing more in the hotel sales training area, not so much reservations and front desk. So we partnered up and we created a two person company and that's when it really grew. And so um, he was also getting a doctorate. He already had a master's in hospitality and he was working on a doctorate at Florida International. So I still kind of ran the company, but he also helped us build through marketing. And long story short, by 1996, we had, um, at that point, we had about four employee trainers. And, you know, we were very forward thinking. We had a website probably by 1990, probably about 1996. And so we decided to go into video. Now, here I am at this point, back to your point, seven years of training experience. And I train, as I do today, about six days of training a month. That's 72 a year. Currently, that's 2,375 days of training. So okay. let, let, let me do the math. That would be seven years in at about, it's about 490 days of training I taught at that point. And my business partner, Mike, said, you know, we need to get into video. And you're, you know, the main face of the company because he was still doing the doctorate and he kind of worked, you know, on our marketing and our website. And I was like, video, I hate video. <laughs> Literally I did. So what happened? We go to the Miami airport Hilton, which was a client. We talked him into, we found a video production company back then. Like you ever done a video shoot recently? It's like one, one person <laughs> and a camera on a, you know, I mean, you can do a lot with the very small. We had a full production crew. We had lighting, sound, and a teleprompter. And just as I did with my very first class, my first video, I read the whole thing on a teleprompter. <laughs> and we made a training video for a reservation class. You know what? We sold probably, I don't know, three, 4,000 of them. Major hotel chains purchased it. <laughs> but I thought it was terrible. I hated video <laughs> at first. At first, I hated video. So, right, that, the mid-90s, right, things were really starting to change. And and the big thing that was changing was the internet was yeah. starting to come aboard. Um, and you're really working in an industry that has changed in a lot of ways, particularly the sales part of it. Yeah. Pretty drastically with the rise of these internet travel agencies, right? I mean, there's been yeah. travel agencies for decades, right? You'd have a travel right. agent, you'd, you know, tell them kind of what you were thinking for a vacation and they'd help you plan the whole thing. Yeah. But, but the, uh, we call them OTAs, right? The online travel agency yeah. really kind of changed things. Can you talk about how that, affected your approach to to your business and and kind of what yeah. you saw within the industry absolutely well so we first heard of expedia which was owned by microsoft you know people forget microsoft started expedia and spun it off and my business partner mike who was really forward thinking and and visionary on these things i i was not i didn't really pay attention to what was happening in the cyber world. I didn't really like going online very much, um, but he loved it. And so we were very tuned in to that happening. So we created a class in like 98, 97, 98 called cyber marketing. <laughs> uh, we also got into revenue management training. So we taught, you know, cause at the same time, the other disruption was, you know, when Smith travel research came out, STR, which is now CoStar with, and then travel, uh, travel click. And I forget what they were before you started getting data for what had happened previously, like in SDR Smith travel and then travel click. And there was phaser and Tim's, I think were the other ones. So you could look at what was being booked in the future into the GDSs. And so we suddenly realized like we had built a brand and uh, the only things we sold was reservation sales training front office and hotel hospitality and hotel sales training. So why not market other things? So we started marketing revenue management training and we started marketing 
cyber marketing training. <laughs> I got a whole scrapbook over here that I'd be very tempted to get and start showing you, but I probably find it more interesting than your than your our viewers. But yeah, we have a course called cyber marketing. We started teaching it as a public venue training in 12 cities. Well, by 1999, 2000, there's an association called HEDNA, still around today, Hotel Electronic Distribution Network Association, HEDNA. And they had a class called HEDNA University, and they taught hoteliers how to sell through OTAs. And they were teaching it through volunteers. And then, of course, the volunteer would, at the last minute would be like, oh, you know what? My boss needs me. So we took it over, and we private labeled it. And we took that on the road. So we cashed in on, you know, selling how to sell through OTAs because at the time it was a fenced channel, meaning that only the geek, you know, what do we call them? Wonky geek people who, you know, went on like, like my older brother, Dan, <laughs> he, was someone, he always booked to Expedia in the nineties because he had to go to New York for his business. And, you know, I'm like, oh, forget that. I have friends. I just call a friend and get a deal. But um, anyway, and then uh, the morning of 9-11, I was riding on a flight uh, that left at 8.30. I was flying nonstop to New York City, and I was visiting our two biggest clients, Starwood and White Plains, and then I had a flight later that day on 9-11, uh, about four o'clock, to fly to New York, uh, from New York to DC to call on Marriott, and you can imagine how that all went down. Our, Flight was diverted and to Atlanta, and I came home in a rental car, the last rental car at the airport, I think. And it, it was crickets for two year, two months. And then, of course, everything was tenuous. Travel was somewhat slow to come back. So we said, hey, everybody. And this is when brands, branded hotels, really discovered OTAs because you could dump, like a fire sale dump, OTAs onto inventory on the OTAs and sell it because most people still haven't discovered the channel. So that's where we made money off of that. But of course, we all know the rest of that story. OTAs took off, you know, by the 20 teens, the brands started to, you know, regret it and had all their largely failed book direct and save. Um, so yeah, we see a lot of, you know, transient now that has gone through OTAs. Uh, however, now <laughs> we teach at Kennedy Training Network, which I started in 06. Um, we now teach a class called Maximizing Textual Sales. What that means is, you know, one of the biggest complaints people who book through OTAs often cancel. What happens is they book through an OTA and then they send a note. A lot of them send a note like, hey, hotel, uh, can I park a motorcycle trailer? And either the person doesn't respond or they say, sure. And in the meantime, another hotel responded more quickly or more in depth and they cancel and it's a wash. So we teach them how to say, oh, hey, Rob, absolutely. We can park a motorcycle trailer. By the way, my name is Doug. I'm with in-house reservations. And, you know, you keep them from canceling. But sometimes that person will be like, let me Google search the hotel and call direct. You know, so OTAs. Um, I know that was a long answer, but, you know, OTAs did not come the enemy of our hotel training company. It became a reality that we adopted to, like, like the same thing is happening right now in group sales. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, you do is, is the front desk training, right? And, and you travel all over the world. Uh, so yeah. let's, let's just put that out there. Like you There's literally you know, travel. Oh all over uh you do vacation rentals you do hotels yeah. um all of these different things i'm wondering right the hospitality i have said for a long time is like the ultimate in customer experience right because yeah. everything about uh, going on vacation or going on a trip and and staying at a place like that's an experience and sure. um, the people that you interact with at that venue, whatever it is, are, are part of that experience. I wonder for you, like, what is the most important thing when you're running those classes? Like, 
what stands out if you could just get people to take one thing away to improve that experience? What is it? The one thing, assuming our, our listeners are going to be leaders of hotels, you know, teaching empathy and understanding. And we do a terrible job of this in the hospitality industry, in the hotel industry. You know, we train hotel-wide hospitality, but a lot of times the focus is on the front desk. They're the first impression makers. And the average new hire's first day, <laughs> you know, hotels complain and whine about attrition and people don't come back. We do a terrible job about teaching hospitality. People apply at a hotel because they love to travel and they love people and they think it's exciting. And then we say, welcome to the hotel. This is the computer, learn the computer. And by the way, make sure to get the credit card, you know, and make sure you get approval and, and all the don'ts, you know, don't allow pets, don't, we can't guarantee requests, okay? <laughs> and then we don't prepare them. So the biggest thing is help them to empathize and understand because, you know, people that work in a hotel, like for example, me, I, I, I was suddenly working at the Marriott, you know, and I, the best hotel I ever stayed at, if we ever stayed in a hotel as a kid, it had a number in the chain brand. Motel 6 <laughs> was great, okay? And now I'm at the Marriott. And I'm thinking like, everybody should be happy, you know? And meanwhile, the business traveler comes in, you know, tired, hungry, cranky. And I'm talking early eighties, you know, and I didn't really get it. Years later, when you're on the road as a business traveler, you get it. Same thing with families pulling in the driveway of the Portico share, you know, they're, um, the worker thinks they should be happy. They get to stay in a hotel and there's a pool, you know, but meanwhile, you know, Mom or dad or mom and mom, you know, have been listening in the back seat. Are we there yet? Uh, I got to go. He's touching me. <laughs> or today, <laughs> the internet's not working. <laughs> so everybody's tired. Everybody's cranky, you know. And so we don't give them the kind of emotional skills. And that's a lot of what our training is about is understanding what it's like on the other side of the desk. Not every guest is happy. You have lots of guests, hospital stays, courtroom, um, biz unpleasant business. Some people, more often men, <laughs> when we're away on business, you know, we're sad, we're lonely, we're tired. Surveys continuously show women are usually happy to be away on business because they're away from the guys and, you know, the dishes. <laughs> it's true. Um, I'm not just being gender stereotyping. This is this is proven by surveys. But um, in all seriousness, we don't teach them to empathize and to understand. So instead, they react instead of being proactive. Um, I'm sitting here today working on a new program that we have. It's all about flipping the vibe. You know, you got to flip the guest vibe. And if young people love to hear this, like, cool, I, I can relate to that. I'm like, you have 5G positivity. Don't be a weak analog signal, you know, flip the vibe and, and you get that mindset. I'm pretty sure you learned that at Dairy Queen. Yeah. You know, uh, or somewhere, because I know you're you're an educator and a trainer now. And uh, I'm not sure lots of other hats you wear, but I know you yeah, have a lot, lots of hats. I, I love that. And I think it extends right to every type of customer when we think about customer experience yeah. so understanding where you're understanding the possibilities of where your customer is coming from yes and certainly depending on the business you're in right you can have a lot of data to understand exactly where they're coming from who this customer is and understand a lot about them Certainly, right, there's a big difference we know between a, a business traveler and someone who's on vacation or someone yeah. who is, um, you know, visiting somewhere because they're, they're attending a funeral. Um, all of those different things mean, right, their, their needs are different, their attitude is going to be a little different, and how we make that a great experience for them is going to be just a little bit different. And that holds true no matter what product or service you're selling, because right. if you can make a great experience understanding 
where this customer is coming from and, and tailor it, then they're going to love you for it. It's very true. And it does transfer, you know, years ago and even to this day, people say, Doug, you could, you could train sales and hospitality in any industry. Why don't you branch out? But I've enjoyed being the lodging industry guy. Now, granted, you know, my clients range from the Venetian Las Vegas, 7,000 rooms to the Interbanks Inn in North Carolina, 21 rooms. But I'm a lodging guy. But increasingly, like this uh, later today, we leave to go to train Belmont Park, which is an amu historic amusement park in San Diego. It is the same concept. It is about the people parks, you know, and we need as an industry at business in general, focus on the people, you know, don't buy this, what I call the millennial myth, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, the, the concept of millennial came from the book generations and the Strauss Howe generational theory. To me, there is something to be said for stereotyping age groups by birth year, but it's kind of like the horoscope. <laughs> I'm Gemini. Yeah, you know, I am a Gemini. I'm really social and sometimes I'm hot and cold, but we cannot say, oh, millennials and Gen Z, they love tech because they grew up with phones and they don't want to talk to people. You know, hotels are trying to shove this tech down people's throats. Have you stayed at a Hilton recently? Uh, not recently. Okay, now I love Hilton. I have many Hiltons as clients. Hilton has always been a leader in tech. And I think that's good. Um, for years, they have been trying to push the digital of uh, the uh, self-check-in as early as 1989. When I started my company mm -hmm. that year, there was an article that uh, front desk kiosk to replace kiosk to replace front desk. In 2009, they put them in every embassy suites hotel and ATM style machine. And I was the brand. I was the speaker at the brand conferences that year. And, you know, they didn't go over so well. Hilton in 2014, and I believe it was 2014, announced the digital room key, and then within a couple of years, keys would be gone. I stayed in Hilton's recently, and it says, on the key, it's time to let me go. <laughs> <laughs> email after email after email, download our app, do uh, mm -hmm. self and select your room. And I love Hilton. I actually think they're, with all due respect to my other branded clients, they're among the top if not the top mega brand, um, but it ain't going over too well. At least when I talk to desk clerks, I say that the Hilton Logan Airport connected to the airport. You got to imagine this hotel has a lot of road warrior business travelers. I stayed at a Hampton Inn in Agora Hills, California. You know, I could go on and on. And I always asked the front desk person, oh, I stayed at the Hilton Conference Hotel at, uh, where was I? It was, oh, um, Baltimore, Maryland, where I was a keynote speaker. And I'm literally checking in with lodging industry people at a lodging conference with heavy tech. And I didn't see anybody using their phone. In fact, I saw people from tech companies. I just stayed at the, con at the Chicago Hilton and Towers for the vacation rental management conference. And I, I you know, so I anecdotally asked, how many people use that app? And they're like, oh, a lot, like 15, 20%, <laughs> you know? And this is from a brand that has the best tech that's really pushing it. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I get apped out. You know, like by the time I arrive at a hotel, I use my Delta app to check in. I use an Avis app. I use Uber yep. to get me, you know? Um, I mean, there's so many, I use the Weather Channel app to see if I got to pack my coat. Um, by the time I get there, like having a real person to greet me. And I don't think it's just, you know, I'm at tail end of the baby boomers. Um, I don't think it's just millennials. I'm sorry, Gen Xers. You know, I talked to my daughter who's um, 24 and there's a tech backlash going on. Like she does not use self-checkout unless she has mm -hmm. to. Actually, yeah. I don't know if true about her. I need to double check with her before I speak for my 24 year old daughter. But I know that we do have the conversation about um, the, you know, that they prefer to call and they prefer human interaction if it's possible. She is very tech savvy. Um, I know that my son doesn't like to use the self checkout. So we really want to, um, you know, understand that 
there may be a tech backlash coming from younger generations. You know, they want to, so a lot of these people don't want to use the self-checkout because they want to preserve the jobs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm not a fan of self-checkout unless I just have a couple of items. Exactly. Um, if you're forced I, to it because there's a big line, you're going to go to that machine. Yeah. I mean, self-checkout can be great in some specific instances, but, you know, don't you dare put something on the the bagging area too quickly or not so put it there fast enough. So you go to Walmart groceries too, huh? <laughs> I go there for produce because the fruits and vegetables are way cheaper than the major store, but... Yeah, and then the red light comes on, and there's like one person for 20 self-checkouts. Um, so, you know, I really do think that, um, you know, and self-checkout at, at Walmart or CVS is very different than arriving at a hotel, you know, and if, if you're there on business and you just want your key and go straight to the room, but, you know, add in there special occasion, bringing a pet, bringing a kid, um, I think it'll be a while before we have the majority of guests preferring, but you read the articles in trade magazines and it's like, oh, guests learned during the pandemic, you know, and then I see surveys. Can we talk about surveys? 86% of guests prefer self-check-in. Google search self-check-in survey and you will see surveys saying 80%, 70%. Where are these people? You know, I don't know them. Um, so I actually, there was just one, and I can't say because I don't want to upset the largest tech provider in the hotel industry, along with the largest data research company in the hotel industry. They just published a white paper. Oh, it's beautiful, like 30 pages. They did a survey of X thousand guests and X hundred hotel owners to find out how many prefer the uh, humanless technology. So I just simply wrote them a letter, uh, an email saying, can you tell me about methodology? What was your sample? What was, and I know the sample size because they said that, but how did you select the population and what was the methodology? Nobody wants to say, you know, who do they actually survey? Probably app users of, <laughs> you know, so I don't know where these people are, but tech companies are, are trying to, to push this based on the millennial myth. Whereas I really think, Rob, in the end, the people make the difference. The people, and if you're going to have self-check-in, that's great, but you need somebody standing there in the lobby welcoming them. Yeah. I think we learned, I think businesses, a lot of them learned that through the pandemic. Like people were yeah. clamoring to talk to other people because sure. a lot of people all of a sudden weren't able to talk to other people, right? We went into lockdown and and we didn't see other people and we didn't talk to other people. And certainly anyone who was in customer service saw their phone channels blow up because people that's just true. wanted to talk. And I think that's true of a lot of businesses. I think we are, uh, as a society, kind of reckoning with maybe maybe the pendulum has gone too far with the yes. technology and we we still want that human interaction and i love tech we need the best of both have the best of tech mm -hmm. but have touch i had a client that was uh it was the hotel since rebranded and renamed it was called the farmer's daughter hotel it's located across from the farmer's market in beverly hills and very high tech clientele they were installing front desk kiosks and they were really well done. It was like an alcove. They made beautiful check-in areas where you went to check in and they called me to do front desk training. And he said, you know, my front desk staff thinks I'm going to replace them, but what I really want to do is reinvent their role. So we called a new program called reinventing the welcome and they no longer had a desk. It was kind of funny because I went there to train them and they were like really awkward, you know, <laughs> like people at the desk, like having that desk, right? And now there's yeah. no desk. Where do we stand? What do we do? And, you know, we had to reposition and get them to reimagine the welcome. And it was delightful because they kept everybody there, you know? And, and a lot of times, just like you were saying at the grocery, you know, un, unscanned item in the bagging area, beep, or 
invalid code be and now you can't check out because the red light is on well that happens and so they had someone there you know but if everything went well there was someone there to say hey how are you doing sir welcome to the how was your trip in oh what a cute baby oh to lady to lady i like your earrings miss you know mm -hmm. one woman to another or to a guy you know nice tie there sir not anybody wears ties anymore currently but um <laughs> You know, oh, Steelers, you're wearing a Steelers shirt. You know, oh, well, I'm a, I'm a Buffalo fan. Oh, you know, um, making those human connections. That's what people want. I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I don't think so either. Doug, uh, it's been great having you on the show. This has been so much fun. Uh, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you and find out more about uh, your product offering and and maybe how you might be able to help them what's the best way for them to get in touch with you i just happen to be sitting in front of the best way <laughs> there's this <laughs> thing called google <laughs> google search Kennedy training network we will come up please don't click the paid ad you'll you'll cost us a few bucks but if you need to that's fine just kidding, but we'll come up, um, go to contact us. Um, my email is Doug at KennedyTrainingNetwork.com. I, I respond to every email personally. I would love to hear from anyone, whether you're interested. You know, we didn't get a chance to talk about the hotel sales. We do a lot with hotel group sales. We're teaching them about how to use a tech for touch approach to break through the digital exchanges that are happening. We do a lot of reservations training, mostly that is for boutique hotels, resorts, ultra luxury. We do hotel wide hospitality and we do a lot for front desk. So uh, this has been fun. You know, I do a lot of podcasts, but nobody ever asked me to go back to my first job, you know, Kennedy Crafts. So, uh, <laughs> and the Stanhope. <laughs> yeah, very, fun. very fun. And I'm really glad that we got a chance to catch up because we haven't talked in a few months. And so this was good. I know you've been busy with, with life and business and, and it's always good to catch up with you. So thanks for making the time today. Well, I, I appreciate it. I look forward to continuing to uh, monitor your podcasts as well. You have some good ones out there. Appreciate it.